0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Michael Calstrip and Fellowship Church. For more information, visit us at www.thefellowship.church. What to convey tonight? You know, there's a lot of things on my heart and uh definitely my heart is in worship, you know. That's uh that's where the presence of the Lord is. There's nothing more important than the presence of God, you know. Everything else, it it's just all part of it, but It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, you know? God has great things in store for us, you guys. I really believe that God's giftings and callings are not something to just be uh, taken lightly, you know, kind of blasé. God is not a boring God at all. And I think that uh, He wants, in these last days, what's in my heart, is He wants for us to be in a position where we have victory in our lives so that we can testify and we can be a testimony of who God is on the earth today and what his plans are for mankind. Uh, there's some serious things going on. I don't know if you've noticed that in our society. Uh, things are a lot different than they used to be, and they're changing fast. You know, I think about when I was, uh, when I was in high school and college 30-some years ago and how much it's changed Since then. And back then, we thought it had changed a lot at that point. You know? And uh, so, God's not taken by surprise with any of that. And He knows what's going on, and He has a plan for us to get through that and to get through it victoriously. Praise God. You know, as I've been leading worship, uh, you know, I would say, just as far as putting a time on it, probably the last year or two, what's really stirred in my heart is to have a, uh, I want to define it in a good way, have, have a warfare type of a posture as we praise God. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of taking back ground, I guess, would be one way of, of putting that. There is, uh, there is so much that's, that's going on. You, you know, the devil is, is sneaky. He doesn't come in and say, I'm the devil, here I am, and this is what I'm going to do. No, he comes in very sneakily. And he just, uh, you know, it's kind of like that, uh, if you've ever watched The Call of the Wild, where, uh, what's the name of the dog? I think it's Buck is the name of the dog. Uh, You know, real big dog, uh, beautiful dog. But he gets in a fight with this little bulldog. And this little bulldog grabs a hold of him, gets, gets him right here on his chest, And so he's just banging this bulldog around trying to get the thing off of him. And the bulldog's just hanging on. You know, no matter what Buck does, he can't get rid of that dog. And that dog, just every time he pauses to take a breath, that dog just inches a little closer to his throat. And every time, you know, and then he bangs around again and just doing everything he can to get this dog off of him. And as soon as he pauses just for a moment to catch his breath, that dog moves up a little bit. And if it wasn't for the intervention uh, of a human coming in there and getting that dog off of him, uh, it would have killed him. And that's really a very good picture of what happens when we deal with the devil, you know, and and what he will do if we let him. He gets that grip hold, and it's just an inch at a time, you know, an inch at a time until he has uh, what he wants. And, you know, I just... uh, the title of my message tonight, and I don't even know if it fits as much as it did when I initially started to put this together, but the, the title is The Call to War. And as I started studying for this, it's, it just seems like the Holy Ghost had a whole other trail to go on. And I'm like, well, this is kind of what I thought we'd do here, Lord, you know, and he's kind of like, no, I, I know a little bit better than you do what people need to hear, you know, so yeah, okay. <laughs> So anyway, uh, I, I want to get right into it here. The call to war, nobody likes war. I think that most people understand that there are times when war is necessary. And in, in a very real way, I think war is literally the only way to peace. I mean, you can have diplomacy, you can have negotiation. You know, So in, in the natural sense, there is things that can happen for, uh, to try to, uh, try to minimize war. But it's going to be inevitable from time to time. Throughout our history, all we have to do is look at our history and see that, right? Uh, war uh, through, through every, uh, you know, every spot of time in our, in our history. And uh, so, you know, if you're a pacifist, please just listen. And, you know, at the end of the message, you can come and talk with me. But just listen, have an open mind, an open heart, and we'll straighten you out at the end. No. Well. Sort of. So anyway, you know, uh, so that type of war is is in the natural realm, so I'm I'm not really talking about that tonight. The war that we see illustrated in the Bible is an all-out war of good, good versus evil, and there is no negotiation or any amount of diplomacy that will resolve that conflict. It's war, and it's been war, from day one, as soon when Satan exalted himself above the Lord, it was war. Because there's only one way. There's not any other way that's going to work. And so we have conflict from that. You know what is awesome about God is he wasn't caught off guard by that. And he takes that and he actually, he actually puts us in a position where we can have victory that's authentic and real where we're not programmed like robots to just love God and, well, you know, we can't really do anything. No, we have a choice in the matter. Just like, you know, I choose to love my spouse. You know, just like you choose to love the people that you love and your spouses. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's real. It's authentic. It's from our hearts. And there are some people, you know, that they start out loving God and the things of the world choke things out and they end up not loving God. And that's what happens, unfortunately. But God is a very real God. His love is real, and it's his love that puts all of this into motion and gives us an opportunity to walk in, in, his, uh, in his fellowship and in his goodness. He's a good God. There's several passages in the Word of God that refer to God's people as the army of God. I wasn't going to go over all of them, but just as an example, in Joel chapter 2, and verse 11, uh, the first part of that verse says, "The Lord utters his voice before his army, and he 's a great god and and If you read the King James Version, it talks about uh the presence of God being terrible, which is kind of you know we wonder what what does that mean in our modern vernacular but it it's it 's a standpoint of God is so awesome that if you 're not right with him you 're going to be in a position of being terrified you know and uh but god doesn 't He's not there to, you know, make you terrified. He's there to love us and and to, uh, you know, to put his spirit within us and and make good things in our lives. And it all depends on what we're going to choose. So um, anyway, as we start this this evening, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And there will be two main texts here that I'll uh, be preaching from tonight. And this will be one of them. Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll start reading at verse 10. Okay. Very familiar passage here. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, or because of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Having done all. That's a very important word god 's not into half heartedness, but he he tells us this is his word, his promise if we 've done all that we have you know we, we have a, a light path that we walk in, you know my light path isn't going to be the same as pastor brian 's he knows some things i don 't know, and vice versa you know we all have that that area that we 're walking in, and God wants us to walk in the light of what we have and what we know, and then he'll reveal more as we continue on our journey but this is what he requires of us. You know, just like what we require of ourselves. Be all in. Be all in for Jesus. It's not religious. You know, it, it's, it's, a matter of, it's a matter of dying. You're dying to yourself and living to Christ. That's, that's the paradox of Christianity. You know, if you want to get high, if you want to be exalted, well, you got to get low first. got to be humble you know, if you want to rule, you gotta serve. You know, if you want to live, you gotta die. And you know what? That's a glorious thing. And and maybe that sounds weird to say that, but God is saving us from ourselves. He's saving us from taking us from the good and the comfortable and the mediocre and putting us in a place of, of excellence and exuberance, and just that, you know, the glory that he lives in, the glory that, that it is him. That, that's God's plan for us. So having done all, you stand. you Don't fall. Having done all, God says you can withstand, you will withstand. So you are fully able to withstand all the schemes of the enemy, all that Satan throws at you, when you do all that you can do. And let me just say that God won't do for you what you can do for yourself. And that's so good, I think I'll say it one more time. God won't do for you what you can do for yourself. You know, my son, or either of my kids, you guys can relate with this, you know, as they're growing up, you got to help them along with certain things. But, you know, my son, when he's a teenager, um, I'm not going to brush his teeth for him. You know, that that would just be weird, right? That would be... That'd be out of place and awkward, and and I'd say, No, I'm not gonna brush my teeth or brush your teeth for you. You brush them for yourself. You know, and and uh and so that's that's where God's at with us. You know, He wants us to do everything to be all in, to give it our all, give life our all. And then those areas that we're short in, God's gonna He's gonna make up that difference. He's gonna make it so. Even your mistakes, he can move that around and make a victory out of it. In fact, he's really good at that. It's the very obstacles that Satan puts in our path to trip us up and cause us to fall and feel defeated. Those are the very stepping stones that he makes. You know, the very things, the weights that want to burden you down, you don't have to let those weights burden you down. You can lift those weights and, you know, it, it just ends up making you stronger. That's what exercise is. You you push, you resist, and it makes you stronger. So you submit to God, resist the devil, and I tell you what, God knows how to make victory for his his children. So here's the other thing about this that I noticed in verse 13 here, you guys. God is saying, therefore, you take up the whole armor of God. God's not going to put that armor on for you. He says, you take the armor. You take the things I've given you and appropriate them in your life. Praise God. You put on the armor. You take what God has provided and appropriated in your life. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And what is your strength? What, What is your strength? The joy of the Lord, right? The joy of the Lord. And sometimes... You know, you can look at Mr. Universe and uh, the, the Olympian guys. They're all buff, and, you know, they look amazing. It's incredible how, what they've done to get to that point where they can look that good. But, you know, that isn't where the strength really lies. We're talking about strength within. We're talking about the Holy Spirit within, the strength of God. And that doesn't put anybody out. You, you Every one of us is entitled to have what God has provided for us. It's the gift of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. So the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, I was going to go a different way with this. This is where I went off on my little trail, and the Holy Spirit kind of took me here. And I'm like, well, okay, here we go. This isn't what I planned, God. But so um just like Elijah in the wilderness back in, in the Old Testament when he uh and we're gonna turn there in just a moment here. When he uh, went up to Mount Carmel and had the showdown, oh, I would have loved to have been there. Wouldn't that have been awesome? Talk about a moment in history to have just a a showdown where it's do or die. (laughs) No getting out of it. No, I mean, it, it was the real deal. And God showed up big time, as we all know. But sometimes when things play out differently than we imagine, you know, we can get kind of shook up, right? And so I want to I want to take a look at this passage. And, and so turn with me, if you would, please, to first Kings. And we're just going to go through this story. First Kings chapter 19 is where where we're at here. And that's the thing about the Bible, I, I love the history part of it. You know, I can just read all the stories that happened back in those days, and I don't know if you're like me, it's easy to become judgmental of the Israelites, right? Well, what's the matter with them? They're always turn away, you know? Why didn't they stay true? And, uh, you know, so I guess we should not be too hard on them, because we can look and see how we have to battle with things in our lives, right? But... Uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, the history is fascinating to me. Um, all that God has done up to up to now and, and what he's going to do from this point on. It's like God, he knows the beginning from the end. He knows exactly what's going on at this point in history. And he has a plan. So it's not just happenstance. There's things really that God wants to get accomplished on the earth. So First uh, Kings 19... Let's see here. You know, I'm going to back up and I'm going to start in in chapter 18 and get a little bit of a a better background before we jump into chapter 19 there. So here they are. I'll just paraphrase kind of the whole scene so I don't have to read all of chapter 18. Um, this is where Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and he tells the worshipers, worshipers of Baal to call uh, heaven to bring down the fire, on their sacrifice, and these guys, they're all in. you got to say that for them. They start cutting themselves. They're hollering. They're sweating and screaming, and and Elijah, it's just hilarious. What? There's one translation that says, well, he starts to mock them. And let's see, verse 27, it says, And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. You know, I mean, you're saying he's a god, right? So cry aloud. Either he's meditating, There's one, there is one translation that says maybe he's on the toilet. You know, he had to go to the bathroom. Anyway, I don't I don't know what translation that was, but I think that's pretty funny. And and he says, cry aloud, for he's a God. Either he's meditating or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or or maybe he's sleeping, and you just gotta wake him up. And sense of humor. So they cried all the more, cut themselves, as was their custom. And on and on it goes. And we can fast forward here to uh, uh, to verse 36. So, obviously, their God was not real because he didn't come to do anything that they asked. And in verse 36 of chapter 18, it says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and I have done these, all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may, may know that you are the Lord God, and you have turned their hearts back to you again. Oh, I would have loved to have been there. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Woo! <laughs> Isn't that great? I tell you what, God is awesome. The fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And the miracle of God's power at Mount Carmel there shook the foundations of the world. I mean, this is a moment in history that changed something. And, and, you know, if you could see in the spirit realm what was really going on, I I think demons were just, they were going crazy because they just couldn't handle, you know, the presence of God, the power of God that was there, exposing them and showing, you know, the, the power of God, showing his greatness, his presence. It was really the beginning of a new age in Israel. The drought ended in the natural. They had that three-year drought that uh, Elijah prophesied would happen to their, their country. Can you imagine having a three-year drought? We've had a lot of rain lately, so uh, it's hard for us to imagine that. But uh, just think about having three years of no rain or dew. And the situation and the you know position that they were in, it was a desperate position that they were in as a country. Uh, so all the people crying out in verse thirty-nine, there, the Lord, He is God. This altar call beat any other altar call in the history of the nation. There was a hundred percent conversion. Everybody, it's like, oh my gosh, He is Lord. You know, I, you know, there was no religion. There was no formal ceremonies. No, He was He was the Lord, and they were in awe. Wow. Wow. Powerful. Powerful. Can you imagine the high that Elijah was on during this whole thing? I mean, you know, we got to put ourselves in, in there like it's a movie. You know what I mean? We got to put ourselves and see what's really happening here. Because we read it from the Bible and, and it, it doesn't have as much drama. I guess, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to put, put a little drama in here just to help you see it better. So Elijah, I mean, at this point, he's kind of an old guy, I believe. I'm, I think I'm right about that. He's certainly not young. So he, he's either a middle-aged guy or he's an old guy. For years and years, decade after decade, he has desired this day. I mean, can you imagine Wanting that so much. Wanting, you know, a nation that's godless and, and they're secular and they're selfish and, and they're sinful. And, and he knows it. And his heart crying out to God for the nation of Israel. What a mighty victory that was that day. God Almighty worked through him through Elijah, to bring about one of the greatest revivals in the history of the nation. I mean, you got the people worshiping God, man. And then, you know, we can go a little bit further here. Uh, Verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. You know, if we haven't had rain for a month, rain sounds pretty good. You don't have rain for two months. Oh, wow, this is a bad drought. We need rain, you know, and we, we get fervent. We get serious about praying for rain. And when the rain comes, you know, when there's been times of drought, doesn't that just feel good? It's just like, oh, praise God. You know, it's, it's so refreshing to have, have a rain when you've had the drought. Well, you can imagine after three years. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. Isn't that great? You know, here's Elijah talking to the king. Telling him what to do. Hey, king, this is what you need to do, man. There's the sound of abundance of rain. Get get going here. And Ahab says, Yes, sir. And uh yeah, let's see here. Verse 43. And he said to his servant, Go up now. This is Elijah saying to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and he looked, and he said, There is nothing. And Elijah said, Oh, I guess I missed it. Oh, shoot going on? No, he didn't say that. He says, go up again. So the servant goes up again. Well, nothing there. Elijah, sorry. Well, seven times this happens. That says something, doesn't it? How persistent are we about the things of God? How how easily do we get talked out of the promises of God? You know, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, It's a message to us to hang in there because God's word works. And there is a way through every situation. Every situation. Even when you don't understand, and sometimes especially when you don't understand, you'll see the way through. God provides a way for his people. So, you know, here's Elijah. He's not deterred from the fact that he has to ask seven times for this guy to go and and check out the clouds in the sky. So then it came to pass in verse forty-four, the seventh time that he said, There's a cloud. Eh, it's about the size of a man's hand rising out of the sea. And I mean, that's not very big, right? That's pretty little. And Elijah said, That's it. There it is. You better get ready. It's gonna pour. It's gonna pour. So he tells his servant, uh, now at this point, he's not even talking to Ahab himself. He's just telling his servant, hey, go tell the king. It's going to rain. He better get ready. He better take off. And uh, so this is exactly what happens. He says, go up, prepare your chariot, and go down before the rain stops you. This is going to be huge. And, uh, you know, I, I want you to get the the idea of what's going on here Uh Ahab is instructing the king, and the king is basically complicit. And, I mean, he's seeing all these dead uh, prophets of Baal. You know, he's in a position of powerlessness because he's seen the power of God. And Elijah is probably just, just about ready to explode with the anointing of God on him, the power of God. What a glorious place to be you know, wow, seeing the revival that he prayed for for years and years and years. So he's given King Ahab orders. You talk about influence. This guy had influence that day. And you know, I'm sure that Elijah could envision everybody getting on board with this new revival, the new move of God. Oh, it's going to be great. Everybody's getting on board with this thing. It looked like everybody, you know, repenting, and and being obedient to the lord so what happened next did a new utopian society emerge no that didn't happen you know what because we live on the earth so it's when jesus comes that we're going to see the uh the fullness of god's plan and we're going to we're going to wipe away every tear and everything will be as it ought to be but until that happens there won't be no utopia, okay? So uh, so anyway, just getting into the spirit of this, I, I can just see Elijah just glorying in what God is doing, and rightly so. So what happened next in this whole scenario here, you guys? Well, I can tell you real quick here, Jezebel. That's what happened next. Jezebel. Excuse me. I got to grab a Kleenex here. I probably should turn this off while I blow my nose. There we go. Okay, so here we go in verse uh, verse one. You guys still following me? Are you in the story with me here? Okay, so chapter nineteen, verse one, and Ahab. You know, I can just see this guy going back to his wife. He's probably like this, you know. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, honey. All the prophets. I mean, what can I say? You know, <laughs> they're all dead. <laughs> and Jezebel is like, what? how could you let this happen? You know, I mean, you you know, you know what happened there. And she was furious. She was furious. So Jezebel sent a messenger, messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me. She's talking about all the prophets of Baal that died by the sword. She said, well, so let the gods do to me and more also If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You know what that tells me? I don't think she really believed in her gods anyway. Why would she say that? She didn't really believe. You know what I mean? It was a means of power for her. It was a means of control. And so that's that's the way she lived. She used that to get what she wanted in life. So here's what I would say at this point before we talk about Elijah and his response. Anytime you have a huge victory in your life, rejoice in that victory, okay? But be on guard for the counterattack because Satan doesn't like it when we have victories, and especially victories that impact a nation. That gets his attention. And I tell you what, you know, he's he's not going to take that lion down. I mean, he's a loser. He's already lost. But but he's he's still going to go, and he's still going to try to bring down the things that God tried to or that God has established, right? So so when it comes, if you're on guard, and if and if you're anticipating that, you know, there is going to be a, a counterattack. There is going to be. Resistance against what's happening, what God is doing, then you can handle it with confidence. You can handle it with grace and strength when you're grounded in the Lord. And I think that's an important point because I think in this story that we're seeing, Elijah was so caught up in the victory and the euphoria of what God had done there that it just totally pulled the rug out from underneath of him when he got you know confronted by that Jezebel spirit and and that's what it is it it wasn't the lady you understand i mean you know uh she wasn't any stronger than anybody else it was the spirit in the lady that caused him to just his knees to buckle and as we see here uh in verse 3 you know, he says, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Pale tucked, man. And went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Wow. The Jezebel spirit. There's a lot that can be said about that. Boy, that's kind of going on another rabbit trail, but I think I need to go there because there, it's, it's a prominent thing we've got to deal with in this day and age. It is, it's, it's in our country. All around us, the Jezebel spirit, what it is, it's a spirit of intimidation. It's a spirit of intimidation and emasculation, taking away the power, and it's designed to make your knees buckle. It is the spirit of witchcraft, which represents a false and counterfeit authority. That's what the Jezebel spirit is. It wants to steal away the real authority and exalt itself as the real authority, even though it's false, and it's wrong, and it's counterfeit. It's presented in such a way, and the Jezebel spirit is so bold. I mean, it's so wicked, and it's so false, and so evil and wrong, but it, it comes across as, hey, this is it, and and it's bold, and it it kind of takes people aback, you know, because, oh, wow. I guess they know what they're talking about. You know, know, that's the inclination that you want to have when you're confronted with that kind of a thing. And it's designed to cause the believer, to steal away the authority of the believer, that's you and me, and cause us to bow to fear, timidity, and doubt. We can see the spirit of Jezebel trying to twist the truth and use these same tactics in our own government and culture today. We can see that very clearly. Anybody who has ears to hear and eyes to see, you can see that. Using intimidation and misinformation to alter the truth and call evil good and good evil. To redefine morals and values. It is ultimately the spirit of Antichrist. It all comes back to rebellion against God and pride. And I tell you what, it's just a spirit. It's probably, you know, if you saw it in the in the spiritual realm, it's probably just a little, little imp guy. You know what I mean? And God has no problem dealing with that. And I think that's very important for us to realize. It doesn't matter uh, what happens. It doesn't matter what we can see with our eyes. There's a lot going on in the spirit realm that we don't see with our eyes. So don't be deterred if you see... Things that, wow, well, why does this seem like it's so strong? You know, God has called us to pull down strongholds. You know, pull down strongholds. That's that's our job. He's given us the authority and the power to pull them down. God put it in my heart to pray against corruption, wherever it might be. And And, you know, I'm thinking over this nation in particular, but certainly across the whole globe, and and to pray against those spirits that seek to exalt themselves above God. You know, this, this is what we can do. And I think it's important that we get the revelation and the understanding that we have the authority and the power to do that, to do just that. We don't have to be somebody famous, somebody with a lot of influence. You just be you. And you be the you that God's made you to be, and you have power. You have authority. Glory to God. And you know, when we get people together in a corporate setting that really believe that, you look at the 12 disciples. Well, 11 disciples. And you can see what God did to shake the foundations of the the earth by 11 very uh, common guys. And how important it is for us. You know, I just, uh, I do. I want to shake us up tonight. I want to shake myself up. You know, that uh, we're not called to just fill some pews of the church and just kind of go through routines. And it's easy to do that, right? Because we all do have a routine in our lives. And so, you know, we go to church and we got to do this. And now I got to do this. But how important it is to make sure that our hearts are burning fervently for the plans of God. Oh man! you guys, God's wanting to do something in the, in this day and age. He wants to move, and he's not going to just move. He's going to move through all of us. That's how he's going to work. That's how he's going to act, and it's a glorious thing. I tell you what there's no reason in the world why we couldn't have another Mount Carmel experience, you know, maybe not exactly played out like that, uh, because in this day and age they, they would totally would not understand. Uh, sacrificing. But you know what I'm saying? That uh, there is a way for us to have that major of an impact. There really is. And God wants to do that. I I know that in my heart. You know, uh, the times that I've really received the best from God was the times where I really steeled myself in his word. I really just, it's like, okay, this is it. I believe it. And devil, you ain't taken it from me. And I'm not going to take this anymore, but I'm going to take this, and that's going to be mine, and I'll have it right now. And, and you know, uh, when I got healed in my back, that was my demeanor, that was my posture, and my approach is that I'm going to have the healing. Uh Uh-huh. It's mine. And uh, anyway, there's a lot I could talk about that, but I don't want to go there tonight. Uh, Suffice it to say... That I experienced a miracle, and by the time the sun rose in the morning and I woke up, I was one hundred percent healed. Uh, it was a miracle, you guys. It was amazing, and man, that taught me so much because it taught me what what uh, what a good thing fervency is. Because it's like anything else. I mean, if if you play a game, you know, uh, you, you got to do things with all your heart, right? If you're gonna win at it, you've got to put your whole heart into it. So, anyway, okay, moving right along here. Um, so in, in verse 3, getting back to where Elijah uh, you know, just he just took off running, there is certainly a spiritual component behind the words conveyed to Elijah to cause him to flee in absolute fear and terror. And I believe that. The, you know, the Bible records this for our benefit because it shows us, it, it wasn't just words. It, it was the spirit behind those words that put him in a place, took him out of his faith and put him in a place of fear. Isn't it cool that God didn't just get on him about that and, you know, what's the matter with you? You should have known better and why did you get, you know, God didn't do that. As we go on, we'll see how God responded to this whole thing but he's a God of love and he's a God of patience. So we're never in a position where we're shamed or condemned. You know, we're just always in a position where God's holding it out for us and saying, here you go. You can have it. The promise is real. You can take it. It's yours. Here you go. What an awesome God he is. Hallelujah. So, you know, as I'm trying to move along here quickly, uh, As we go through here, we can see the Jezebel spirit totally drained the strength and courage from Elijah. Uh, In verse 4 and 5, he prays to die. I mean, here's the guy that was king of the world, you know, just uh, a few days ago. And, uh, or I'm not sure how long it was, but it wasn't very long. And now he's praying to die. And the next verses I'm not going to read, but they show how the Lord sustained him and, and provided for him during that time of need. In verses 9 and 10, we can see his uh we can see Elijah's response. So, so so he's gotten strengthened from the Lord, and he went into a cave, verse 9, and he spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Don't you love that? I, that's so neat. I mean, I I'm look I'm looking at the whole scenario, you know, and I'm I'm putting myself there. It's kind of like God saying, What's up? What's going on, man? You know, and and uh and Elijah says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. I mean, this dude is in a total pity party, right? And I mean, you can't blame him. Like you know, we don't we don't want to be too hard on Elijah. Uh <laughs> You know, it's like, wow, poor guy. But uh, here, here's uh, what God says in, in, in verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small... voice. Isn't that interesting? In the margin of my Bible, it kind of expounds on that, and it says to further interpret that, you could call it a delicate whispering voice. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? The Lord wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. That just tells me, you know, God doesn't have anything to prove. He, he is the Almighty. He, he doesn't have to impress anybody. So we're, sometimes we look for power in the wrong spots. The power is that still, small voice that's within all of you. That still, small voice. That voice where the peace is, even in the midst of the war. That's powerful. That's your deliverance, I man. That is your salvation. still a small voice. And if you're not tuned into it, you, you probably might miss it. But it's there. If you've got ears to hear, you'll hear it. Because God has, out of his great love for us, he has salvation and deliverance for every one of us in every situation. But uh, you can't just do it because so-and-so did it this way. So, yeah, I guess that's what I should do. No, you've got to do it because that's what God's told you to do in your heart. How do you go through your valley? Well, it's that still, small voice. God will tell you how to do that. Okay, give me just a few more minutes, and I'm going to close up here. We can just gain some awesome things from this story. So, God's patience. You know, God's not into the dramatic or anything. You know what I mean? He's just patient. He loves us and he's patient. So uh, so it was then in verse 13 when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. He heard that still small voice. He recognized it. He said, okay, here I am, Lord. And so the God says again, says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What's up? What's happening? And verse 14, and he said, Once again, he just repeated himself, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life even. Then the Lord said, oh, you poor thing. I didn't realize it was so bad. No, he didn't say that. And it's not because he's mean, but it's, it's because that isn't where the victory is. You know, it's not time to to coddle. It's time to, okay, here's where, his first words to Elijah was, go. Go. So he he listened, right? Because God loves us. He listens. But then he says, go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And and immediately, God just kind of put aside, you know, what Elijah said. And he says, here's what we're going to do. And he laid out the strategy for Elijah. He says, you're going to go to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria, and also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. God was going to put into place everything that had to happen now because of that spiritual breakthrough. Things were going to move. But it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it takes patience. It's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. So we might have a glorious breakthrough in our personal lives or you know, corporately um, or wherever. And, and yet it can take some time for that all to develop, right? So so in the meantime, hold fast. Hold fast to your confession of faith. Hold fast to the word of God. There is victory and there is uh, not just you know, barely getting by, but victorious living, just overwhelmingly conquering in God's plan for us if we hold fast and have the patience, you know, to just stay in that faith zone and not get in the fear zone. So uh so I love it that God just, you know, he never acknowledges the uh uh, the drama from Elijah. And he understands. You know, it's, it's uh, he wasn't mad at Elijah. He didn't reprimand him. He just moved on. And in both those passages, in verse 11, when Elijah said it the first time, he told him, go, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. He, he gave him some action. He gave him something to do. And in the second uh, time that, that the Lord asked him, why are you here? What are you doing? Uh, very same thing happened. Elijah was still in that, you know, nursing his wounds uh, situation. And the Lord just told him again, well, go out. Go. Go. And you know that's what that's what the Great Commission's all about, right? Go into all the world. Boy, that, that word is a powerful word. Because it denotes if God's going to tell you to go, He's going to give you the power to go. And He has told us to go do what needs to be done. Preach the gospel. Lift up Jesus. Give God glory in your life. It doesn't have to be where, you know, ABC News is caught in on TV. It does not have to be anything, you know, it it can be just your life and, and you'll be amazed at how that can spread and affect other people's lives. When you lay down your life and you're not on the throne and, you know, how you feel and all this other stuff doesn't matter as much but but glorifying Jesus is what matters the most that's when you have the most influence and the most power and that's when you are really living your life that's that is purpose and that's destiny glory to god so these are some things that God's sharing with me and um I'd like to share more but that's probably a good stopping point at that at that spot right there. Um, let me just say here as, as I'm closing, uh, the purpose of spiritual warfare is to open doors for the gospel to be preached and truth to be revealed and to glorify Jesus. And you can look that up in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 uh, that kind of goes along with that statement there. Uh, spiritual warfare is a very important thing. And it's something that we're going to do all of our days. So, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing because it makes us more and more reliant on the Holy Spirit and less independent of God. It puts us in a position where we're, we're, in, uh, we're in good shape, you know, and we're ready for the battle and we're on guard. And, uh, you know, you think about, uh, I think about the example of King David. It's when he pulled back from the war and stayed home and got himself nice and comfy Got into trouble, you know, and that's I think that says a lot right there how important it is for us to be warriors you know to have that Caleb mentality and that guy he's an awesome guy, eighty years old, and he's ready to he's ready to take it all like a young man, and uh, how important it is for us to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in these last days. And so I want to say as I close, that's the third time I said that now, right? So, all right. Uh, I want to say how important it is to implement praise and prayer in our lives. There are some things I wanted to share about it, just ran out of time, but how important it is for us to, when we praise you guys, it isn't just something that we do in a religious way and I think everybody knows that but to to just really have the understanding of what it does in the spiritual realm praise confuses the enemy you look at the examples in the old testament king jehoshaphat and you know he was feeling like oh my gosh you know what are we going to do i mean and he just obeyed the word of god they sent the praisers out in front of the the guys with the swords sent the praisers out That'd be us. You know, Linda, and Joanne, all you guys, that'd be us. We'd be on the front lines out there with just our instruments. No swords. But, you know, that speaks of the power of praise. And I really believe with all my heart that praise is what God wants so that it, it, it releases something. I, I've, just, I've heard the phrase in my spirit over and over, let there be praise. It's like the Holy Spirit saying to me, nudging me with that. Let there be praise. And in my personal life, when things don't go the way I want them to go, let there be praise. And so I tell myself that. And corporately, let there be praise. God wants to do something. I really believe that. And our prayers being fervent and effectual, as it says in in James, they make a big difference. When we pray You know, when it's a fervent prayer from our hearts, God hears it. It makes a difference. It might not look like it, but you just stay with it. It makes a difference. The answer comes. Glory to God. So I hope that encouraged you guys tonight. Um, Hallelujah. God is an awesome God. And he's he's kind of a, it, it can be very adventurous sometimes being a Christian, right? Because there's, there's things that you're like, oh, I know how this is going to turn out. Yeah, I can see where you're going, Lord. And, and then he'll do something totally different just so you don't trust in your own self, you know. <laughs> he knows what he's doing, and he does it because he loves us. Amen.